0: Be looking at Ruth chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm only going to read the first eight verses this morning. This is actually the first five verses this morning. Ruth chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. (laughs) Wash yourselves, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and your go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking, But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. You may be seated. Would you join with me as we pray together again and ask God's blessing on his word preached this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And ask that you would so speak to us through your word that we would feel our hearts set aflame. That uh, in response, as we just sung, that our mouths would be silent because we hear the voice of our God speaking to us. Open our eyes to see the wonderful truths of your word. The most wonderful truth is Jesus and him crucified. May we see that today may we find ourselves worshiping you to our soul's delight we pray this in Jesus name amen you know, i was thinking this week it's uh, looking over the top 10 grossing movies of all time and and i found it interesting that in a culture that values individual achievement where the american dream is rags to riches that the vast number of the top 10 grossing movies of all times are stories of rescue of someone from the outside coming to the inside in a messy situation and rescuing not not the stories of of someone who's broken and downtrodden by their bootstraps in their own effort building themselves up and rescuing themselves and And that most of those movies, those top grossing movies, the story that sells is a story of some aspect that has some component of love. Someone who loves coming to rescue The Sound of Music, Titanic, E.T., one of my favorites, Dr. Zhivago, Gone with the Wind. They're all stories of great rescuing the lesser. Someone strong coming to take and save the weak with a very strong theme of love running through it. This really gets us to the heart of the gospel, doesn't it? I mean, the heart of Christianity is this. Is God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you... If you believe this truth that God helps those who help themselves. If you have believed that saying, I want you to take out your mental sharpie and cross it out in your mind until you can no longer see it again. Because the heart of the gospel, as it's revealed to us in the pages of scripture from the very beginning to the very end, is that God comes to the rescue of those who are utterly helpless and can do nothing for themselves. God rescues only the vulnerable. And it's at this time of year, at Christmas time, at the Advent season, that we celebrate this very fact. God came as a baby to rescue, with the cross in sight, to rescue those who could not rescue themselves. The greater came from the outside into the mess of the situation. God became vulnerable to rescue the vulnerable by his love. ...and to bring them home. And so we've been calling this series in the book of Ruth... ...a series called God's Hope in the Long Night. Because this is a long night in Israel's history. It's the time of the judges when Israel was in decay... ...being overrun with outsiders... ...and God not forsaking His people in the midst of this. He writes this beautiful love story, a long night... Because this was Israel's experience before Jesus came on the scene. 400 years of God's absence before the Messiah comes. God often does his best work in the long night. The long night are extended times of suffering in our lives. Most often what ends up happening to make the night so long and difficult is suffering gets piled on top of suffering I get sick or I lose my job if that's not enough. One thing gets added to it. A car breaks down and a child falls sick themselves with extremely expensive yields. One difficult thing adds to another. It's often the case in the long night. And what we have seen throughout the book of Ruth is that God is present in the long night of His people. And He is in complete control. That's what we saw last week on... Orders all things to the end of His purposes. We call it His providence. And what I want us to see today in Ruth chapter 3. Tags on the end of this. God's present with His people. Ruth 1. God is in complete control of the long night. Ruth 2. And that God has a tender, compassionate heart. Towards those that He loves in the long night. A tender, compassionate compassionate, protecting heart. See, the book of Ruth is a love story. It is a love story between Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law. It's a love story, as we'll see in here in chapter 3, between Ruth and her kinsman, redeemer Boaz. But what's going on is that this is like a a live action play that God is using to reveal the greater love story between God and his people. Because as this story plays out, God is controlling the events in his providence to prove, to reveal his intentions to his people. He's saying through the book of Ruth to his people, in the midst of this dark night... When the nation is in decay, when your lives are falling apart, I want you to know this, I love you, and this is the way I love you with a tender, compassionate heart. And So if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you're walking with Him, this is the way I want you to hear the book of Ruth. This is a story about how God loves me because of Jesus Christ. So as we enter into Ruth chapter 3, there's a backstory that we need to remember. Naomi had gone with her husband to Moab because there was famine in the land of Israel. While there, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, and then her sons marry Moabite daughters, and then her sons die, leaving both Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth destitute without anyone to care for him. And so Naomi and Ruth returned to Israel because They had heard that God had blessed the land again. The famine had been lifted. And when they arrived, though, in Israel, both Naomi and Ruth were some of the most helpless women in Israel at the time. First, she's a widow, which meant she was without a husband to protect and provide for her. And she was, Naomi was without a son, as was Ruth which meant they had no one who could inherit the land, grow up and provide for them as they grew older. Think, in today's world, they had no income, they had no social security, and therefore, they had no hope. And then on top of that, Naomi, or Ruth, is a Moabite. She's a foreigner from a country that was a sworn enemy of Israel, and now she's living within the bounds of Israel. If you think... um, what it would have been like for a northerner to move into the south and be a destitute woman right after the civil war. There was a lot of tension there, a lot of distaste, a lot of anger. The distaste ran deep. So she is, at this moment, a very vulnerable outcast. So when Ruth head back to Israel with her mother-in-law, she goes to glean in a field. Now... Israel had a welfare system. The corners of the field were left for those who were poor and destitute and vulnerable. And they would come and harvest those corners of the field and find food. And so you'll remember from last week that as she goes to glean the corners of the field, she meets Boaz, who just happens to be a distant relative of her late father-in-law. And so the love story begins between Booth, Ruth and Boaz. We get to chapter 3 and the theme of rest jumps off the pages for us. Naomi's goal from the very beginning in Ruth chapter 3 in verse 1 is this, Naomi her mother-in-law said to her, "My daughter, should I not seek rest for you. The love between Naomi and Ruth is great that she intends to find rest for this vulnerable destitute woman. In fact, the whole book of Ruth really moves as a theme from destitute to fullness, from uncertainty to rest. And the chapter ends with verse 18, the same words now on Boaz's, as a result of Boaz, she's saying, Naomi's saying, Wait, my daughter, verse 18, until you learn how the matter turns out. For this man, Boaz, will not rest, again, until he settles the matter for you today. So Israel had this weird law, as many of their laws were, to provide for a destitute woman. When a man died, his wife couldn't inherit the land, and so... Land was like a savings account or a trust. It was a safe way of preserving one's wealth. So if a widow didn't have a male heir, she was destitute without any future. Now to our ears, that seems a little weird. This law of a kinsman redeemer plays out this way. The nearest blood relative was obliged to marry the destitute widow and provide an heir. Oftentimes it was her dead husband's brother, not him further on down the line and and this did two things this weird law in Israel really did two things for the destitute it kept the family in the land in the family which provided security but it also provided a means for a woman who was vulnerable to be taken care of this man this near blood relative of her husband was called a kinsman redeemer in the law of Israel and so this is What Naomi notices and points out to Ruth, this one that you have found is a redeemer. He can stand in this gap. And this weird law had a purpose of revealing the heart of God towards his people. Because it reveals that he is a compassionate, tender God towards those who cannot help themselves so within this nation of people that he calls his own he has placed his affection and love on that he works towards he implements this law to say this is i care for a destitute woman because i care for you who were once a destitute people see the heart of god just continually drawn to the restless and hopeless in order to provide rest just as Naomi is working with Ruth to find Boaz so she can find rest. The thrust of God's heart is he moves in these directions to take the vulnerable and compassionately with power provide rest for his people. See, when Naomi says she's going to find rest in verse 1 and that Boaz won't rest until he finds rest for her. He's using a very loaded Hebrew word, a word that doesn't simply mean, you know, lack of work. There's a word for that in Hebrew. The word that she uses means safety, security, often translated home. Think of it this way, a resting place. Naomi, you've had, you've gone and you left your land. Your daughter-in-law's left her hand. Neither of you have a resting place, but Boaz, God will provide through Boaz, a place where God's compassion, He cares for the vulnerable, and His power, He does something about it, meat, and the story of Ruth. But ultimately, they come to a climax. His compassionate power at the cross. They show the trajectory that God's moving His people, those He loves. The trajectory of His compassion and power is through the death of His Son to provide a resting place, a home for His people. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. When you, when you think about coming to Jesus, what you think is the goal of religion is to give me a list of things to do so I can fix the wreckage of my life. But what God is revealing in Ruth chapter 3 and throughout the pages of his scripture is that if you come to Jesus, you're coming to a God who says you're incapable of providing rest. You're utterly helpless to provide rest for yourself. But I will provide a resting place, a home for you where you will be secure. And how do I know might be a Christian think, how do I know that's true? Because the result of my life doesn't say this is the trajectory, that God's going to provide rest for me. I'm in the long night. How can I know? I can look at the cross and see God's compassion and power through Jesus has actually provided a home for me where I'm safe from his wrath and I'm secured in his love. And therefore, I can argue from the greater to the lesser. I can go. He's secured me eternally in his love by the death of his son. Therefore, I know that he's moving. Whatever's going on in the dark night of my life, I know that he's moving it towards rest, a safe home for me. And this is how Paul argues in that famous verse, all things work together for good. For those who love God are called according to his purpose. It's part of an extended argument where Paul is arguing from the lesser to the greater. Well, how can I know I mean, if God says he's working all things together for good, my life does not look like that. How can I know? Paul goes on. Doesn't just don't ever just lift verses out of the Bible. Read them in context. Big arguments are being made for the good of your soul. And this is where he goes. All things work together for good. How can I know? Just two verses later. He who did not spare. His own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also give us. Graciously give us all things. So you see the heart of God. It's a a God who's present and in control. As a tender heart of compassion. Towards the vulnerable. Proved at the cross. Why won't God do something about my suffering. He has done something about it. At the cross of Jesus Christ. The story goes on. It's not only the trajectory. It's to move to provide rest for Ruth. Naomi hatches a plan. It's a very tender plan. It's a plan to, to woo Boaz into a relationship with Ruth. Again, Ruth, Boaz was Ruth's kinsman's redeemer. And so Naomi's plan goes like this. Ruth, I want you to go and make a proposal to Boaz. I want you to offer yourself to him in this way. After Boaz is done working, it's been threshing grain. It's a very laborious, physically exhausting process. I want you to go. He's going to after that. He's going to eat, and then he's going to have a little drink, and then he's going to be in a good mood and tired. And I want you to go lie down at his feet and uncover them. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Okay, get him a, he's going to work hard, have a steak dinner, drink a little wine. When he's in a good mood, lay down at his feet and uncover him. And so you, Ruth, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get yourself all gussied up. Put on your best dress, dab on a little perfume, and then lie down at his feet as you uncover him. He's going to be vulnerable. You're going to make yourself available. Kind of weird, right? Right? And this passage is actually loaded. You can probably be picking up on it with a lot of sexual tension. But Boaz never takes advantage of her. We're told earlier in chapter 2 that he's an honorable man, a worthy man. And what Naomi again is trying to do is provide a home for Ruth. And so in this weird ancient ritual, one thing becomes very clear. Ruth is making herself most vulnerable to Boaz most commentators agree that this is a this is sort of a marriage proposal you see he is inviting him to protect her by making herself vulnerable at his feet see Ruth actually makes this request of Boaz when he wakes up he wakes up and he's like "Um, who are you Like, why are you at my feet this is kind of weird And she she asks him, spread your wings over me, the corners of your garment. She'd uncovered the corners of his feet, his garments rolled up. And now when he wakes up, he says, okay, why why don't you take the garment, those corners that I've rolled up, and I want you to cover me with them. Spread your wings over your servant because you are... A redeemer in the ESV. Or if you've got the ESV translation, it's actually got a little footnote here that means wings can also mean edges of the garment. She's appealing by using her vulnerability and weakness. I need you. I'm helpless. It's not a marriage proposal like you see in the movies. You complete me together, we'll fit together, and I will add to you, and you'll add to me, and everything will be happy. Now this is a position of desperation. I am helpless. I need you. You are my only hope. Marry me that I might find refuge under your wings. God actually invokes this type of imagery in Ezekiel 16 where he says of Israel, you were like a child that was discarded and passed into the woods and I fell in love with you and I waited till you grew up and I saw your need for protection and I passed by you, Ezekiel 16, 8, and I saw you and behold, you're the age for love and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Again, the heart of God is a heart of compassion and tenderness and protection. Even her choice of titles here of Ruth conveys her sense of vulnerability. In verse 9, she's startled by this woman at his feet in the middle of the night. And when he asks, who are you? She reaches into her vocabulary bag and she's got a number of words that she can use to describe herself. And the one that she pulls out, servant, is the most humble Vulnerable word for servant that she can use. There are different words for servant. One contains an, uh, an idea of authority and submission. She actually uses that in two thirteen when she calls herself a servant. Essentially, she says, "When it comes to the field, I'm here to do your bidding." But when she is at his feet and she is vulnerably asking for help, the word that she uses conveys that sense of vulnerability. This is who I am. I am an utterly helpless, vulnerable. Woman, cover me. Cover me with your love. Cover me and protect me. And what Ruth is doing is she's modeling for us the approach of humility to God. And Boaz is conveying to us the heart of God towards us when we are vulnerable And and don't you find that the very thing that we are most allergic to is being most honest about our weakness and vulnerability? I mean, not only do I not want you to know where I am most weak and vulnerable, I do so much to cover myself with it by presenting my best face forward to you. But I do that with God. I refuse oftentimes to admit my weakness and vulnerability. I'm really, I've got my act together. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more I find this to be true, that I cover up my vulnerabilities. I don't want to admit that I am as needy as I still am. I've been in Christ for over two decades. I should be stronger than this, but I am still weak and vulnerable. You see, oftentimes it is not our sin that keeps us from God. It is our pride. And we miss the tender, compassionate, protecting heart of God. Boaz is modeling for us how God deals with those who are most vulnerable, who are most tender and need most protection. Look at verse 11. This is the most tender language that he uses. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask for you're my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman he could have rejected her she's asking a very big thing She's asking him to take on all of her liabilities. She has nothing to bring to the table. Boaz is a wealthy man. He knows that if he enters into this relationship, it is a one-way relationship of protecting the vulnerable, of providing for the destitute, of caring for the weak. And he says so tenderly to her vulnerability, my daughter, don't fear. I will do this for her. He doesn't treat her like the slave servant she sees herself. He elevates her, he celebrates her, and he blesses her and then provides for her. Instead of taking advantage of her, Boaz protects her even from disgrace. Verse 14, she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. She's become so vulnerable to him, and he's protecting her, even her reputation. I don't want other people to see you as a a loose woman. I want other people not to see you. I want them to see me caring for you. Instead of taking advantage of her, he protects her. Instead of taking advantage of her, he makes himself available to her, he protects and then pledges himself to her. And so Israel sang this line. They saw clearly this was the way God dealt with us and continues to deal with it as a tender, compassionate God with great power to protect his people. And so they sang in Psalm 37, 36 verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love. Your covenant abiding love, the love you've pledged for us. How steadfast it is. Oh God, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's like a mother hen. Brood, young, vulnerable children. God even describes the Exodus this way. You are like little, little eagles children little chicks that couldn't protect themselves and danger came and what i did in the exodus is i reached down like a great strong eagle and i snatched you up and i carried you away to safety so that you found protection under my wings such a on both those images such a clear picture of the power of god and his tender compassionate heart because he loves his people he'll protect the vulnerable well it looks like the story's going to have a happy ending boaz and ruth are both going to ride off into the sunset together and the long night is going to come to a quick end but verses 12 and 13 introduce us to one last hiccup Now it is true that I am a redeemer, Boaz says, yet there remains a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will find if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, he's willing to redeem you. Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Both Boaz is like, I'll do this. I'll, I'm, I'm in. I love you. I will do this. But There's somebody who's got first right of refusal. And so we've got to go talk to him. And so he, as he leaves her, leaves her with two things. So that she might feel secure that this is going to come to an end and end well. He leaves her with a pledge and a promise. A pledge that he will make sure, a promise, sorry, that she, he will make sure that she is cared for, that she will not remain in her vulnerable state, and then a pledge. He gathers together, verse 15, tells her to hold out her dress, measures out six measures of barley and puts it on her, and then she went away into city uh, most commentators agree this was probably 60 pounds of grain you remember she left her family had left israel because there was no grain in the land they were under famine they were turned back she's vulnerable she finds protection under the great man and he sends her away with a bountiful pledge here's 60 pounds can you imagine okay you know this is obviously a very strong woman you know, not a frail, uh, petite woman. She probably was a lot more than 120 pounds. She's carrying 60 pounds of barley in her in her dress. And when she gets home and she shows this to Naomi, her mother-in-law, it is clear in Naomi's mind why he did this. Verse 16, And when he came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told him all that the man had done and said, Look, there's six measures of barley you gave for me. And he said... To me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And Naomi gets it. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I'm going away. I'll protect you and your vulnerability. And then I'm going to come back and make sure you get rest. Does this not sound like the very storyline of the gospel? Where the Lord Jesus left his place of power, came down into our vulnerability, protected us at the cross, rose in victory, and said, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you with two things, a pledge and a promise, I promise to return and care for you. And while I'm gone, I'm not going to be absent. I'm going to be present and working. And even now as he sits on his throne in heaven, he is actively working to protect and provide for you and your vulnerability. He pleads the merit of his blood before the Father so that in your walk with him, as you struggle against sin and discouragement in this world, you have all of the spiritual resources that are available to Jesus because he continues to work and he will not stop until you rest. And how can I know? Because he's left a pledge and a promise. He's left his promise that he will return He's left his promise that he works even now standing before the father but the Bible says he's left a pledge to much greater than the 60 pounds that she carried away in her dress that day because he has left his Holy Spirit who is a guarantee a guarantee of the inheritance that is to come. And so and so we're told your bridegroom has protected you in your vulnerability. He didn't take advantage of you, covered you. He's gone. There's going to be a few hiccups along the way, but he's left you with his promise and his pledge that he will come back and he will bring a new heavens and a new earth. And you will inherit it And it will be yours. And he will not rest until you rest. Praise him. He's good. Let's pray. Oh, our Savior, we love you. Thank you for spreading your wings over us, clothing us with your very garments of righteousness, that we are your beloved bride. And we beg you, Assure us of your love by your spirit. Teach our spirits to cry out, Abba, Father, in the time that you're away. Teach us to groan in longing for you to return. For you are our tender hearted protector and provider. We love you. And so we pray in your name. Amen.